Kimbin's a family, incestuous family tree. Avril's off with CT, while Oren wants the fleet. Mario don't know he's fucked, James went off and he stuck his head in a microwave. Cartridge is inside his grave. Johnny Gentle wants it clean, engineering new regimes. Americans should join up with Mexicans and Canucks. ONA and run the show, Quebecois threaten to go. New England trash to the brim, giant fans for Northwood win. Down at Boston, AA, Crocodiles got their say. Raquel Wells, dirty mask, a billet, girl, it's still attached. Gately sits, fans and listens, gag the man with the sniffles one day at a time. Toothbrush stuck in his behind. Up his butt. Bail girl in recovery, PGO AT. Liar licks a drop of sweat, clipper ten clock to his head. Al don't know just what to do, his littles watch him smoke a do. ADD, THC, no, no, take the DMC. He didn't stop the pile, it was always hard to get a Your song this week. They're just gonna get worse and worse. My name is Jesse Dram, and you're listening to the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast, episode 16, pages something to something. I don't know. Our guest this week, returning from episode two, David Foster Wallace, super fan, Infinite Jest super fan, and Philadelphia storytelling champion, Steve Clark. Me and Steve got. We talk a lot about AA in this one. Uh, Steve is personally in recovery very very open about it so i was very glad to have him back now that we've gotten more into the recovery aspect of infinite jest which is a lot of it um we pick up on some interesting things we talk about the uh, the overall use of uh eliminating your map as an allegory for suicide we talk about the allegory of the birthday cake and how to make the cake and uh just shut the fuck up and do what the box tells you you know you can find it, look up Steve Clark the Moth if you want to see some of his storytelling stuff. He's he's goddamn great. I'm not gonna waste any more of your time. Here we go. Episode sixteen. Sixteen. The I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. Have a nice week, guys. I Hate Infinite Jest, episode 16, part 16, pages 442 to 469. Joining me this week, my guest, the returning conqueror guest, uh, Infinite Jest and David Foster Wallace, super fan, Philadelphia comedian and storyteller, Steve, don't call me Mark Clark. Steve Clark, how you doing, buddy? Good. It's funny because my mom wanted to name either me or my twin, Mark. I had no idea you were a twin. I am, yeah. Wow. What, what's his name? Mike. Mike. She wanted one of us to be Mark, but she married my dad, so she took his last name, so you can't name your kid Mark Clark. No, that's got to fuck you up. Can, but you'd be an asshole, you know? Like, I ended up with a name Jesse, which is kind of like, so the whole thing was, my dad was Joe, and all, like, the firstborn son was always named Joe. 
But my mom, my mom's stepdad was named Joe. So she said, fuck, I'm not naming him fucking Joe. Uh, my mom wanted to name me either Jamie or Kelly. She wanted me to have like a real sissy name for one way or another. And instead, I was named Jesse after Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> born, born white trash. Oh, man, that is, that is the, that's maybe the whitest, the white trash <laughs> I've ever heard. Professional wrestler, conspiracy theorist, former governor of Minnesota. That's like, that, that, that's a white turkey right there. Oh, yeah. man. West Virginia is the only way you could be. Mm. West Virginia is the only way you could be more white trash. <laughs> but man, that is a heck of a story. Yeah. So yeah, how you been, man? It has been uh, 14 weeks since I have had you on. Uh, you were there. I'm, for I'm, I'm enjoying the podcast. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I... I know you've been the one giving me the most feedback on uh, the songs. Oh, they're good. Yeah. I just, you, should, I, you should make like a playlist, like a Spotify playlist of like uh, your Infinite Jest songs. Yeah. I, I might do that at some point. I might pluck them out and make uh, just like YouTube videos for them and stick them on a playlist. Funnily enough, like I just ran out of ideas. It, it'll, it'll start coming up. It's, you know, it's, it's like the end of summer. So I've just been kind of half-assing everything. Yeah. This podcast included. But uh, yeah. How has your summer been? Not bad. Just one more thing about the music. It's funny. Yeah. Like, I think the Crocodile song is my favorite. Mm. And it's like the, the least, it, not the least, it's the most sincere. So it's kind of like uh, analogous to what's happening in Infinite Jest. Like, it's like this, the more sincere you are, the, mm. the more I like it, you know? So it's like the, the more you're trying to be clever, it's like, I, I like the sincerity, but I do like the the humorous ones too. You know. I uh, yeah, do. I I loved that we didn't start the fire thing. I loved the Escaton oh, song because I I can put together a cheesy metal song very easy. Like you know, it's good stuff. Yeah. So um, yeah, you were one of the main people who got me to do this podcast. What arguments with you is one of the big things that led to me like you know let me actually do this. And like I said, now almost 500 pages in, I'm liking it. I'm liking quite a bit. Wasn't expecting it. Uh, still, still, I still don't get the mind-blowing aspect of it. But I, like I said, I think I figured it out at this point. I think I just read it a little too late where like, uh, again, remind me, how old were you when you first read this? 23. Okay. See, I still feel like. I was around the same age, but I feel like I had already been, uh, this is a big molding book for people. And I just feel like other artists got to me first. And David Foster Wallace just didn't really fit in. I didn't really get the tone, but I'm still, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, is, it is that gonna create a rift in your relationship? Um, I mean, I might need her to read it at some point. <laughs> it was like, yeah, this. I, I can see the, like, I think, um, Katu and others, you included, brought up the the way that like women are portrayed, and I didn't necessarily like. It's not something that I focused on before, but now I can really see like, oh yeah, it's either they're fuckable or they're not, you know. And part of it is like, part of it is the character, like the character's viewpoint. I think like a lot of the characters, the men are just like that's the way they see women, you know. Mm -hmm. But it, you can't excuse all of it with that. Yeah, I think they have that particularly. Uh, this is part of a thing I've noticed in art in general, where, um, like, I think it was last week's episode where they were talking about uh, the woman. Oh, the the woman with the Raquel Welch mask who goes up in front of AA, and she oh. mentioned she used to be a stripper, 
and the narrator points out like all the men pretty much like look her up and down as soon as yeah. she says that. And it's like, hey, you know what? Just because you're acknowledging it doesn't mean it's really any better than the presentation. Yeah. And, and I do feel like that's a, that's a lot of art. Like, oh, look, they can't keep her eyes off of her. Like, yeah, that doesn't really, like, that's good that you pointed that out, but you're still like presenting her completely sexually. I don't know. And yeah, even like this week, there's like the woman who had a stroke and like can't use half of her body. Mm -hmm. like, she's still pretty fuckable. I don't know. Like, I guess that's the highest compliment you can give. I mean, as as, like that. as somebody who uh, dated a disabled girl for a number of years, I actually, I kind of, I kind of get that as fucked up as it is. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. He's like but, super, super horny or something. I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, do you have anything to plug right now? Like, where can we, where can we find you? You got any projects going? I'm actually, I'm working on a one-man show. Um, Ooh, okay. I, I say working, but it's not, it's not making much progress. But there's going to be like a version of it in the fall. Uh, it's called I Die at the Beginning. It's like a storytelling type, uh, type show. But it's only going to be, it's going to be a very short version of it. Okay. Like depression and suicide. All right. You know, what? we don't have to get too into it, but I don't think I asked you before. Um, when I met you, you were pretty much doing straight up stand up. What? actually led you to lean more into like specifically not only the storytelling style but like I feel like that's how you uh would describe yourself now more than a comic I like yeah I like it it's so it's uh, for people that don't know the difference like it's kind of just like there's shows where there's a theme and you go and you tell a story I like that idea I think the audience is really forgiving and nice as long as you're sincere. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's like, there's more of like a human element to it. And I also hate open mics, like stand up open mics. Like it's just, it, it feels like work, you know? And story yeah. to me is a little more fun. I like the, I like the structure of it. Mm -hmm. I like kind of like keeping audiences uh, attention. You know, so I, I really enjoy that. Um, I like trying stories over and over again and seeing what works. Seeing what works both comically and, you know, just as like a serious story. Um, so I like that flexibility. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot that I like about it. Okay. Cool. Man. Well, I know it's worked out for you. I know you won like some best storyteller things here and there. And I've, I've definitely found you captivating every time I've seen you. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right. You ready to get into these uh, here notes here? do it all right so first chunk 442 to 449 if you remember the format you've been listening to the show just jump in whenever you have something to say yep uh the white flag group is on a commitment to a tough shit but you still can't drink group in braintree i i love that name uh member gately revealed that he was ashamed inside that he had still truly not any understanding of a higher power Gately says he wishes one of the crocodiles would just smack him around and give him a solid AA God to tell him to obey. Catholics and other religious people raised with angry gods in AA attest to feeling a gratitude that AA has allowed them to mold their belief away from fear into a loving, understanding God. Gately still prays, despite not understanding, making the comparison that he does it not out of belief, but more like the superstition of an athlete not wanting to jinx a win streak. 
says he could accept something you don't hear or see or smell, but not feeling a lick of it makes it hard for him to swallow. So you and I talked about this a little bit before we started. You are, in fact, in uh, the program in AA. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Uh, no, no, no. You, you can take the lead on this, but pretty much, yeah, just uh, tell us how close the book is to actual AA. And uh, specifically, I wanted to talk about the notion of like a, a higher power and how that's more, that's probably not as narrow as a lot of people would think. Yeah, I mean, so a couple things on that. One is, I think the book's pretty good. Like, I think Wallace is, the, the, a big thing for Wallace is the fellowship. Like, it seems like he gets a lot of community out of the meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's more like reading the book, working the program. And like, um, but I do like meetings too. Um, but in terms of like the higher power thing, there is one of the first chapters in the, they call it the big book, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not even that big. Um, but one of the first chapters is written for agnostics because about half of the, the early the earliest group of AAs consider themselves agnostics. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like they're, they started out with the same kind of idea of like, there's a lot of people who don't have a good understanding or who maybe don't even believe in God. So the range of things you can believe are, are really wide. You know, I, um, there's a lot of cliches that, that are in this chapter. And also that like I've come across like one is, um, you're going to have to choose one spirit or the other, either alcohol or God. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is an, another idea that um, it's been brought up to me is this idea of like, what you're doing really is like, you're taking yourself out of control. Like you're not, you're, you're removing yourself and you're, you're giving control to something other than yourself. It might be your sponsor. It might be, you know, eventually it's going to be something else, some other higher understanding but it's the idea that like, okay, I've fucked up my life so far. Mm-hmm. Like me managing it is not great. And even when I do manage it, like I try to control everything. And even when it's going okay, I'm not necessarily happy. Mm-hmm. So it's like that one guy who I respect a lot in AA has this, uh, this story about how he, uh, he didn't, I guess he didn't believe in God or something. And an older guy came up to him and said, if you turn your will over to anything tonight other than yourself, I promise a wholesale miracle is like, well, that's pretty good. Like what's the miracle. And the guy's like, at least your life won't be in the hands of a complete asshole. (laughs) Gotcha. That makes sense. So, um, well, like one, one of the, one of the lines that I've heard in this and I've loved that stuck with me a lot is, uh, again, you know, a lot of people, well, yeah, two things is that a, a lot of people really trying to like logic their way out of this and trying like, well, this doesn't really make sense, that doesn't really make sense. And with the, with the notion of, uh, well, your best thinking is what got you here. Oh yeah, that's a great one, yeah. Yeah, and just really like acknowledge, like you're, you're giving up your will because like your, your choices are what led you to rock bottom. So maybe you need to just put that aside and let somebody else, you know, carry that for you. Yeah. And that perspective is so helpful to me. Like when, like there's also this idea of like when you get hurt, a lot of times it's like I put myself in a position to be hurt mm-hmm. or I took my will back. 
Um, and I think that idea of like the times that I'm frustrated mostly are times when like I'm not in control. Like when mm -hmm. I'm in traffic, uh, when uh, like a dating situation isn't going the way I want it to and like the girl breaks up, like whatever it is, um, usually it, my, my financial situation, it has to do with me not having control over it, right? So me giving up that control to something other than myself, I think is, and it can be the program, it can be the community, it can be the fellowship. People have, there's all kinds of like, people do Wiccan, um, people believe in like nature, like there, there's all kinds of things that people will turn their conception over to. Mm -hmm. I was raised Catholic. Um, I consider hell, myself like- Hell yeah. <laughs> I consider myself like culturally Catholic. Like I don't really go to, to mass um, but like it's it's how I was raised and how I still kind of identify but my conception of God at this point like I, I relate a lot to what Gately's saying mm -hmm. um, I think for me the the higher power thing is like the first time that it presented itself to me was like when I was doing my fifth step mm -hmm. which is like you're reading all your resentments to your sponsor and my sponsor said to me is like well it seems like you just care way too much about what other people think about you and i didn't have that anywhere on my paper i was just kind of like blown away and looking back it's like kind of an obvious thing but to me it was like wow like this moment like he's right i didn't say that and he just totally read me right there it's mm -hmm. like that's like something's working and then when the program's good and when you're working with someone when you're helping someone um and when you're like reaching out for sponsorship or you're doing 12 step work which is really just service and helping others. Um, mm -hmm. You, I, like, I don't have a good definition of God, but I have an understanding of like, okay, it seems like this is a moment when my higher power is involved. Right. Yeah. My eyes are opened to the presence of, of that spirituality. Right. And it's also, um, it's also just a great, even if you are like the most cynical, like, well, I would say Don Gately isn't, isn't necessarily cynical. He's, he's doing it on complete faith because he really doesn't feel anything is that even if you don't have that thing of like, Oh, well there is a higher power. There is like an important psychological angle to it. I think I read something before where they talked about uh, not only addiction, but like people who are dieting. If you just like rephrase a little bit, like say you're really dieting and like somebody offers you a slice of cake and just the difference between saying, Oh no, thank you. And saying, I, I don't eat cake like actually framing yourself is like, no, it's not that I am not choosing cake. I am somebody who does not eat cake. And just like the slight thinking about that a little differently, it's like higher percentage are more likely to like stick to their diet. If they think of themselves as not like, no, this is one big choice I made and not individual choices I make along the way. I have chosen to abstain. And for some reason that just like does some little psychological trick that like keeps people more on the, you know, uh, set path that they're trying to follow. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with that. There's times where I will identify, like, in public, as like, oh, I don't drink. And there's times where I'll talk about it. Um, but other times I, I don't. But I think, like, yeah, when you say, like, oh, I don't drink, you feel, you feel like, okay, this is oh. more, I guess. So yeah, definitely. I definitely can see that. Okay, cool. All right, uh, let's get back into it. So Gately is a 
very worried about giving this speech just because, you know, he feels like a little bit of a phony. And he also puts out there that uh, this is a very hard-nosed crowd that he's speaking to, a lot of, a lot of bikers. Despite right. that, they continually surprise him by giving him rapturous applause and talking to him after, saying how great it was to hear from him. Uh, yeah, Gately notes how absurd it seems to be in a, in a, be in a biker gang, but clean and sober. A lot of like clean leather and very precise games of billiards. One sober biker of similar size but smaller than head than Gately pulls up, and uh, in my notes here I have Jesus fucking Christ DFW quote shakes his hand in the complex way of N words and Harley heads, which is not from any. Yeah. Go ahead. I think, I think that's from. So I saw that too. I think it's from Gately's perspective. Like, okay, that's, that's like how Gate. Like, it's not. It's not DFW who would say that. Right, and that's that, that's fair because Gately has specifically said like that was just the word he was. I, I think he said he was like a full grown man before he heard black people refer to as anything but the the N word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and also, just for context, this is the '90s. Like, it's not like Quentin Tarantino wasn't like you know writing it in for him to say in Pulp Fiction at this point. So, yeah. context. Uh, <laughs> The guy says he's Robert F. And it's great hearing a new guy share from the heart, struggling with the God component. Notes it's strange to hear a biker say the word share, let alone heart or component. Robert <laughs> asks if he heard the story of the fish, which leads <laughs> leads uh, satanic Glenn Kay to make a pussy joke. I love Glenn Kay every time he shows up. Oh, but yeah. The very first time, if, if you haven't, if you've been following along or you just don't forget, Glenn Kay is uh, very insincere. And he decided to mock the entire notion of a higher power by becoming a Satanist and dressing in like a hood with like a chalice at all time. And the overall thing is like, see, even this guy is still accepted in AA. Nobody particularly likes yeah. him, but he's still a welcome member of the group. Um, yeah, one of the things one of the things DFW is big on, which is funny, is it's like the more you like, the, like Gately would go and be like, I fucking hate AA. Stops. You guys are all. I feel like you guys are all phonies. Everyone's like, "Yeah, keep coming back." Here <laughs> for him. Like the more he, like the angrier he gets. It's like, "Yeah, come on." It's like, bring it. I personally have a problem with the entire concept of anybody calling anybody else a phony. Like, yeah. I mean, it, like that's that's another thing with the higher power. Like, I think there's a lot of people who are real snobby about being atheists mm. and agnostics. And I think that's fine, but. Like, I don't, I don't understand why you need to, like, shit on somebody else's religion. Or, like, uh, well, yeah, calling it Even, like, outside the realm of that, I remember, like, I was, like, 19, and I was dating this girl. I was driving in my car, and she got a phone. Uh, she called me, and I had my little brother in the car with me. And I just answered the phone, like, oh, hey, babe, what's up? And after I hung up, my brother's like, you're such a fucking phony. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you said hello, hello, and like your voice went away. I'm like, oh, hey, I haven't been of that. Like, what can you just act with everyone else? Like, because you don't act with it's. I, I feel like people don't understand. It's like that dumb thing. Uh, well, you know what? We just talked about the N word. It's like when people really can't get over that. Well, why can they say it and I can't? Like, well, it's the same reason you can call your mother a cunt, but if I do it, then you and I are going to fight. Like, you understand there are different levels to this, and it's not your fucking place to say that, you know? 
Ugh. I don't know. I didn't intend to get into that, but just yeah. the, uh, the um, thing. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think my one of my favorite DFW stories, good on neon, is um, is just about being a phony, or it's about yeah. it's about struggling with the idea of feeling like a total fraud. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what, Steve, if we can wait one second. Would you happen to have a pair of headphones? Because I feel like your audio is being a little wonky. Yeah, I'd have to go down to my car to get them. All right, don't worry about it. It's not that bad then. Okay. Um, yeah, give me an idea of good I old think, Neon. I, I still have my internet Say it again? My internet connection is not great. Oh, okay. I didn't know if it was something where it's like, where it clips, where you know, because it's putting out and taking in audio at the same time. I guess, yeah, I don't know. No, it's okay. It's not, it's not that bad. I just figured if you had them right there. But yeah, tell me a little bit about a good old Neon, just because I know you and I have talked about it. I need to have you on here for a footnote where we talk about that. I've just been scrambling to... I've been very bad at scheduling guests for this fucking thing. Oh, uh, it's great. But no, they've been... The guests have been great. Um, it's just a story about... So it's from the perspective of a guy who recently killed himself. And it's like him reflecting back on his life with the viewpoint that he now has as like a um whatever he is now Mm -hmm. Um, so and how he felt like a phony and a fraud throughout his whole life no matter what he did and he like tried a lot of different things but he always felt fraudulent okay and it kind of wrestles with that idea um and the resolution i think is really heartfelt Ooh, you want to know something interesting? Um, I remember when I first started comedy, I would go on uh, the stand-up comedy Reddit from time to time, and you would be surprised, like the amount, a lot of new comics all saying, like, I feel like a phony up there because I thought of this stuff in advance, but but I'm saying it like I thought about it for the first time, and like I make it like I'm talking to people, but I'm not. Like the the. People feeling like phonies is a weird, maybe I'm lucky and I just never had to deal with that, but it does seem to be something that like plagues a lot of people and really gives them a lot of anxiety of like how they present themselves or even to like take a second to think how you're going to present yourself. Even that makes you a phony because you're not just in the moment. Well, part of this point in the book, in, in the story is like, there's so much inside of you that only a little bit can ever get out at a time. So of course you're going to try to control to some extent what people see like mm-hmm. and what like what version of you people see or what part of you what portion he calls it like a keyhole like there's mm-hmm. a little light coming out of a keyhole but that doesn't make you a fraud any more than anybody else like it's just what you do like you can't express your whole self so you're only going to express part at a time even if you wanted to you couldn't you know so it's like right yeah so like and with stand-up it's like it's an art you know so it's like All right, well, that, that was the thing I always said to those guys it's like have you ever been to a concert where it was nothing but freeform improv every time it's almost like they worked on that song long- I bet his girlfriend didn't even break up with him today he, he made this up forever ago it's like dude you're kind of overthinking it yeah hmm. of course yeah um, I found it funny he tells uh, this Robert F guy who's talking to Gately just tells him the this is water fish right. story the has the has the water today boys what the fuck is water and I, I I had no idea that that originated in Infinite Jest which I like because I actually really like the thing um, yeah I'm not sure if you guys had gotten to that or not yet oh yeah definitely 
Yeah. Good he, has a, he has another line here I found interesting. I wanted your opinion on it for the brand thing. He throws uh, another line out there where he refers to suicide as eliminating your map. I wonder, is that related at all to the Eschaton argument of whether the players are actually on the, whether the players on the map are actually there or representative? Because it seems like you could almost extrapolate some kind of uh, like atheism versus belief in the afterlife based on how he keeps using that term, eliminating yourself from the map with the previous argument argument on what role the players are actually playing on this map. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I never thought about that. Oh, okay. So Interesting. I I would I would need to like look at it a little bit more, but I think that's like a really cool juxtaposition regardless. Yeah, okay. he he doesn't talk about maps much. He clearly meant there to be a correlation. So Yeah, and I think like when he says like your map, I took it as like your yourself, like Oh yeah, that's definitely it's your neural, your neural map. You could even make the argument. Yeah, and I, I always took the Eschaton map thing to be a very postmodern. Like, there's the the gorgeous story where there's the cartographer who makes a a one to one scale map. So he's hmm. making like just like a map of the world that covers the world. Uh huh. Um, so like, I, I took it to be like a postmodern kind of argument of like is the game really a game or how aware of the game are we, you know, like, but yeah, no, I think that that makes a ton of sense. That's a pretty cool insight. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to keep notes on that. If I can think about, um, we get a little bit more background on Gately after a certain amount of sobriety, sobriety. I don't know why I said that after a certain amount of sobriety, when the compulsion to use fades, you're now left with the memories of why you began self-medicating in the first place. Gately feels it less like remembering and more like re-experiencing, like being 11 and listen to his mother drunkenly complain about all the pain and regret in her life. Um, we learn Gately's father was an Estonian immigrant iron worker named Bulat, who had broken his mother's jaw and left town while she was still pregnant with him. Gately is her maiden name. When he was young, she lived with a Navy MP who beat her often, but always between the breasts and groin, so it wouldn't show in public. She's currently in a long-term Medicaid place, and Gately has never visited her. As a boy, he'd watch her slowly pass out, then take her vodka and make himself a drink. Um, his mom called him Bimmy, thinking it was his neighborhood nickname, which it was, but it was actually a cruel nickname, which stood for Big Indestructible Moron. <laughs> um, he came home one day and found her covered in blood, thought the MP had beat her too far, but it was, in fact, a cirrhotic hemorrhage. Your liver has cirrhosis and can't process any more blood, so it sends it shooting out your throat in a high-pressure jet. I have seen a video of this before. It is I, I have read it's one of the most terrifying ways to die. Um, the video I was watching, it was like an old bus driver, and suddenly it's like, it's like that scene in the first Adams Family movie where like they cut off the arm and it just sprays like a fire hose, only it comes out of your throat. It, like, it just ruptures through the esophageal wall and just blast blood like high pressure it's horrifying yeah it's funny like you don't with gately like he's not dumb he just looks he like looks like someone who would be dumb mm -hmm. you know like he's like pretty emotionally intelligent um and like he doesn't have like the great education but like he's pretty good at reading people He's got like yeah. lot, he's got a lot going for him, intelligence-wise. I think he just doesn't like. So well, you, you, know, you have that right there. If you imagine somebody who has just like 
a high emotional intelligence, but has just had none of the education and doesn't like, can you think how hard it is? It would be to, to, uh, sort your brain and psychology. If you did not have like the glossary you learned in like your first psychology class. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. It's a good point. Um, I, I don't know if I would, but then there's also like, so, um, a couple things that I want to hit on if that's all right. Talks about like the, the, the desire to use disappearing and like, that's a real thing that happens. I think like, like when I, when I wanted to stop drinking, like for a while there would be times where like, I really wanted to, like, I couldn't walk past bars, you know, like I had to like isolate myself or I couldn't go places where there'd be booze, Mm. but you know, two plus years in, like, it just feels like it would be a chore to drink at this point. Like, I don't really have the desire, you know? Mm. So it's like a cool gift of, you know, working a program or, or long-term sobriety that like, you don't really think about it, you know? Mm. Well, I mean, I, uh, I, obviously I'm, I'm vaping here, so it's technically cheating. I smoked for like 12 years. I, I had smoked cigarettes here and there. But uh, I actually fully started smoking. I bought my first pack on my 18th birthday because a fucking ex-girlfriend died of a brain aneurysm on my 18th birthday. Oh, shit. Yeah. So uh, enough sad Tom Waits songs told me, like, well, somebody died. Clearly, I need to drink and smoke. And uh, really not good. Like, I look back on some of the pop culture shit like, oh, dude, fuck Dennis Leary. Fuck early Metallica for fucking like glamorizing, like drinking yourself stupid and like, yeah, I'm a smoker. I'm a badass. Go fuck yourself. Like, oh, sorry. I went off there. Pretty much when I eventually quit smoking, I was along. I was the person that like, you know, I'll probably be that person that like still has a cigarette every now and again when I drink or, you know, whatever. I just, I could never see myself not smoking. And then after I went like six months, it's like, I don't crave one even a little bit. Like it, like suddenly it, it, it my uh, sense is inverse and it's like, oh God, it smells disgusting. Is that what I smelled like for a decade? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's great feeling your brain like completely rewire itself after long enough. Yeah, it's good, mm. good feeling. Mm. I've had like physical issues with drinking. Like I had pancreatitis, oh. pancreatitis where yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't like keep anything down. Mm. And you know, like two days later I was drinking like, I just didn't give a shit. But yeah, so um, like I would just throw up everything I ate. And yeah, so I've, I've had like, I haven't been cirrhotic, thank God. But yeah, mm-hmm. I've had issues. No, pancreas is one of the big things that stops uh, big drinkers. I remember the bassist from uh, the band Pantera, long time alcoholic. But then he got, he got pancreatitis so bad that pretty much like I had to stop cold turkey. Like literally... Any any next drop of alcohol can be the one that kills me. I I can't. Yeah. And that's what yeah. that's when you really find out how much you want to live when like those are your options. And alcohol can be so funny thing about alcohol can be like a really slow killer, but mm-hmm. then it's also really hard because you can do it for years and years and years and not be fine, but like feel relatively okay. Yeah. Um, but like the funny thing about Gately is he's not primarily a drinker, right? But he still right. does AA. Even um, if, well, it's still that, that that's what gets a lot of people into it too. Like, yeah, you start like, out on booze and then you spiral out from there. As you find, that's particularly I find for people who are trying to like 
bury their feelings and thoughts. It's like, ooh, this is another, this is just another friendly blanket I can throw down my throat that'll make all the thoughts go away. Sure. Most of, most of the people I know in AA are not, like, alcohol is not their drug of choice. Mm-hmm. But like the guy who, one of the guys who I respect the most is like a heroin addict, you know? And so it's like, it's more just like, what well, would you rather do NA or AA at this point? Right. And I like, I don't, I don't, yeah. So it, it, Gately talks about it a little bit later about why he chose AA. Um, but yeah, I don't know what my point was there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess the, the point is like, your your people are welcome if like, regardless of their, uh, right. Yeah, no, nobody's going to check you at the door. Like, by the way, you know, this is the booze one, right? No. Oh, that's not. People will. People, sorry. People will tell you to not talk about anything but alcohol. So if you use drugs, but I think that's bullshit. Like, I don't care. Just say, yeah. just say what you use, say what you did. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I know. I know my loved ones uh, that are in it. They go to a pretty much like an all encompassing kind of group with the yeah. meetings where it's just like, what, Whatever your poison, come in here. We're all avoiding it. So, and there's yeah, um, and I mean heroin's the thing that's killing people, you know, mm-hmm. or fentanyl, both. Yeah, um, no, it's both. Where I'm from in South Jersey, that's like all all of my young, both of my younger brothers, all their friends are on heroin. Like they're just gone, lost to the world. Within the first six months of my recovery, five people I went to detox with died. And two of the people I lived in, like, a longer-term, like, a six-week setting uh-huh. um, had died within the first, like, year and a half or two years. It's wild. It's just, like, it, like people just die so frequently. It's, it's insane. Oh, yeah. No, that was an issue. I was talking with uh, my cousin and his, his sister is in the program. And he was complaining, like, oh, yeah, my sister gets mad that, like, my parents will babysit for me more often. They'll be like, but we have to go here. It's, it's so-and-so's death anniversary. And finally, they just need to be like, eh, I'll make up a name. Like, Melanie, like, I'm sorry, but like, everyone you know is dead. That's not a special occasion anymore when like every, but it's so-and-so's death anniversary. Like, and yesterday it was four other people. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ugh. It's, it's really, it's hard, man. Like, it's, it changes your perspective on death. To some because it's oh, like when people are just peeling off like that yeah more people i know have died in the past two years just from recovery than like the rest of my life like it's insane like you could just like it's like russian roulette it's like that's why i mean just never do heroin like, yeah. Well, they, they say particularly heroin. The thing that kills them is when they clean up for a little bit, relapse, and then they they do their old hit and their body can't take it. And like that's where the bulk of uh, overdose deaths come from. That's what I've heard. I could be wrong. Yeah. No. I mean, it's part of it. Um, a big part is just like fentanyl. You don't know how much you can take and how powerful it is. It's like it's just so much more powerful than like regular heroin. Yeah. Um, that like it's just real easy to die. To OD, mm. you know? Yeah, sucks, man. All right, let's get back in. The, uh, we just have one little bit left in a little thing. Um, Gately's mother had been diagnosed with cirrhosis but never told anyone. She'd go to meetings for a few weeks, relapse, hate herself, and repeat the process as she turned haggard and jaundiced. As a result of the cirrhotic hemorrhage, uh, she pretty much has brain damage, has been in long-term care for 10 years, and he's never visited her 
once. Jump ahead to the next chunk here. Hal has been having terrible recurring dreams about losing his teeth, splintering in his jaws. Mario hasn't been in the dorm lately. He's been sleeping at the headmaster's house. Very upset about Madame Psychosis's unannounced sabbatical from the air. All the people close to him noticed, in part because he was so hard to agitate. But after Avril directed someone to take him down to the radio station and he saw she'd been using a veiled screen, he became further agitated. I don't know if I'm reading that right. Does he see that veiled screen and suddenly realize, oh, it's Joel? Who, Mario? Yeah. Yeah, he, um, I think he, like, listens to her every night and he's like, something's off. He feels something's off. And he knows, Uh like, she's not there, so he's worried. I guess he's worried. Yeah, I think I think he. I don't know if he knows it's Joel. Well, see, that's yeah. what that, that's what I'm wondering because I know when they first described Madame Psychosis and we haven't met Joel yet and learned her connection to the Incandenza family, they keep hinting on like there's something vaguely familiar about the voice. So I kind of read that there that like when he went to the radio station and saw she used a veil, something in his head clicked like fucking Joel. That's who it was. That might, that might be it. That's a good yeah. insight. They, they don't state it explicitly, but um. Yeah, I think, I don't know if he knows that she is, like, he does a lot of the filming with his father. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, I don't know how much he knew about her. You know what? I'm actually, do we find out at one point what happened to her, that she stays veiled? Yes. Okay, good. Because they've hinted some disfiguration. Um, I even thought possibly it could have been some, just because I've heard of these things before, of, like, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the notion of, she was so pretty she didn't want the attention anymore and just wore the veil as if she were deformed. Yeah, I think um, as they talk about that too. Um, they got to that? Yeah, but I, something happened to her. Um, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering back. I, like, I think it was either, like I used to think the same thing you did. Which okay. Is, maybe she's too pretty and she's tired of people looking at her. But something, something happens later in the book, you'll see. Okay, okay. Um, in her absence and time slot, they originally ran an imposter, misdiagnosis. Now in the time slot, they simply play the nightmarish background music without Madame Psychosis's contributions. Yeah. Um, CT is stressed out about the Academy, which is his job. A whole thing about the school wanting less women because they go pro less frequently and raise all kinds of housing issues. He watches the boys' morning stretches and notes that, unlike James, he believes running an academy like this requires a reverse Buddhist outlook of near constant worry. The best students have drills first at dawn. The weather is getting cold, which will soon require the erection of the lung for winter practice. I, I don't think it's happening because nobody mentioned it, but they mentioned the lung so many fucking times that you almost imagine like the end of the book is somehow going to take place inside the lung or it's going to have something major somewhere. I don't think it does. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't remember enough to, to say, um, but I, I don't know that it plays like a huge role. Mm. He's just like, his aesthetic is just like include everything. Right. Like, so yeah, like describe everything in minute detail. Um, that's just the way, like, he's like, instead of like taking things out the way a lot of artists do, uh-huh. I mean, it's like take everything, even if you, you meant something to be there, take it out and people will feel it. DFW is like, no, put everything in. Like uh-huh. this should be longer. He, he argued for it being longer than it is. Oh yeah. So, they said they cut out like 800 pages, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
something like that. So like, yeah. So he's like the great includer. I, I feel like that's such a hurdle to get over. But then, then all right. my whole thing is like, I feel like that's such a hurdle to get over to get into the book. But at the same time, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I would not be liking the parts I like so much now without that, you know, include everything, including the kitchen sink thing. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I applaud you on your open mind, you know? Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I, I listen. I love arguing, but it's. Uh, I'm. I, I would say I'm not a contrarian. It's just when I don't understand something, I w- I want to be convinced. You know. Yeah, and I think you can probably more so at least see both sides now. Like, oh, I get why people hate it, and I get why people maybe like it. You know. It's. I. I still don't understand the worship of it. Like I said, I, I kind of I kind of allow that other worshipable things got to me first, but that I still don't that I still don't get. Um, maybe I'll get more insight as I go, but uh, we'll sure. see. Um, Stitt is up in the crow's nest, sometimes with Mario, who leans precariously out of the perch to film with his head-mounted bolex. You know what? This is something I'm going to take issue with something David Foster Wallace here and get your opinion on this because it happens twice in this chapter. Well, I'm thinking of two examples in that we meet Mario so many times and then it's only like the last hundred pages or so where they really mention, oh, also he's wearing a camera on his head pretty much at all times. Like, I feel like there's certain details that only get plugged in way later on. And part of that makes me wonder, like, why did he do that? The thought I have here is we actually hear some dialogue from Stitt and he has a super thick German accent, which I don't, it might've been mentioned, but like suddenly to put it on such display is really confusing to me. Why like we're really, after spending so much time with this character, why are we making this detail so omnipresent? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if Mario, I guess he, that's a good point. Because I'm not clear how often he has the camera. I know he does it. He films the oh. tennis practices. I, I, know, I know they mention it, like, for the first time, about 150 pages before. The difference is now every time they mention him, they're talking about the head-mounted Bolex, where they didn't mention it in any of the things prior, as far as I recall. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of the scene where, like, the USS Melissa St. Kent mm. kissed him. Um, uh... I forget if he had it on or not, but yeah. And I know that shit, like they'd say like he's German and like his like pseudo fascist tendencies or something that appealed to, uh-huh. to himself, James. Um, but yeah, they don't, they don't, you don't really, I guess you don't really hear him talk as much until now. Yeah, I, I, I think he's mostly been described without actually being quoted yet. But uh, anyway, um, in detail of how the morning practice goes, it's a revolving door that makes sure that everyone at some point plays everybody else, usually working through one particular skill or mechanical movement at a time. Hal gets some leeway due to an injured ankle and woe to any pro rector who exacerbates an injury before a competition. Um, Oh God, there's a whole footnote. 186 that I just I didn't like any of this it's all on the etiquette of picking up balls quote serious juniors never pick up tennis balls with their hands males tend to bend down and dribble the balls up with the face of their stick there are various little sub styles of this females and some younger males less into bending 
stand and trap the ball between their shoe and racket and bring their foot up in a quick little twitch, the stick bringing the ball up with it. Males who do this trap the ball against the inside of the shoe, while females trap the ball against the outside of the shoe, which looks a bit more feminine. Reverse snobism at ETA has never reached the point of people bending way down and picking balls up manually, which, like wearing a visor, is regarded as the true sign of the novice or hack. What? I mean... <laughs> it's silly. It's just like you pick up a ball. It's just like you put the ball to your foot, pull it up, uh-huh. bounce it. So, like, you don't have to bend all the way down and pick it up. It's, I know. I, I get it. It's just I don't understand the importance yet. of any of that. I mean, so the one thing that actually, um, it's dumb. I agree. It's not, not necessarily needed. It, I mean, it's like, like I played tennis for a long time. Uh-huh. So, um, it's like, yeah, I guess that that's true. Um, and he played for longer and more competitively. So like, I can see it. Like, I, I don't know that it's hugely important, but mm-hmm. the note that I, I wanted to talk about with you uh, was 184, where they talk about how being like, this guy who's like really good at controlling the where he puts the ball and mm-hmm. like getting guys wrong footed, like hitting the ball in the opposite direction that they're going. So like almost like twisting their ankles mm-hmm. um, and how it, it, to me, like reading it this time, it's like Howell's maybe trying to control. It's like a metaphor for him trying to control people and like mm-hmm. control how they see him. And he does the same thing with the, the pot where like, it's almost more of an addiction to him to hide it from people and make sure they don't see him that way, you know? Um, okay. So it's kind of interesting that his playing style matches that. Yeah, that, that is an interesting little thing that it's, it's less about, like, it, it's more about getting the opponent tripped up than... Uh, yeah. Hmm, okay. Hadn't noticed that. That's a, that, that's a good one there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> The, the fat kids are being made to do extra wind sprints and suffering for it. Stitt chastises the kids for slagging off. Acknowledges the impediment of the coal. I, li- I like the little thing he puts here. Uh, I don't have the quote because it's a lot. Stitt acknowledges the impediment of it being cold out, but tries to make it a teaching moment that pointing out that there will always be something to keep things from perfect conditions. Cold, heat, pretty girl in the crowd. Um, he goes on a long rant of since there will always be imperfections outside the player, the player must always strive to be consistent, great inside. So a lot of the kids are complaining like, eh, it's too cold outside. Like, well, when you do like no game you participate in, you compete in is ever going to be perfect conditions. There's always going to be something. So he goes on this whole thing and then hilariously it ends with Delint finally chiming in and saying, so put a lid on it about the fucking cold. And that's the end of the discussion. It's great. Yeah, he's just got his clipboard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Delint's like his number two, right? Right. Um, and there's a note here that Hal personally hates Delint, that they don't really go on, but uh, might pop up again. Although, like, if you go back to the beginning, um, I think Delint stands out as someone who, like, helps Hal when he's, like, struggling in the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, and it maybe, like, he. I don't know that he's like hugely important, but like your perspective of him sort of is informed by that, that like maybe there's more to him than just this like dickish pro rector. Okay. Okay. Um, we jump into the next chunk here. We are back with Gately. 
Part of Gately's duty as Linnet's live-in staff at Ennett involves running errands. Oh, this is where we're going to meet Pat Montesian. What we've met, we're going to get some more information. This includes driving Pat Montesian's 64 Ford Venture, yeah, 64 Ford Aventura. I don't know if he meant that to be a tongue twister, but it kind of is when you put 64 Ford Aventura to the, <laughs> to the market to cook the weekend meals. Quote, for Gately, the vehicle is so terrifically tight and sleek, it's like being strapped into a missile and launched at the site of a domestic errand. It's marked as questionable judgment that Pat lets her use the him use the car since Gately lost his license more or less permanently back in the year of the Whisper Quiet Maytag, dish, Maytag dishwasher. God. He still has to go to court and see parole officers now and then to see how the sobriety is going. When he first came to Ennett, he had multiple charges of bad checks, forgery, malicious destruction of property, two D&Ds, possession with intent to distribute, and a bullshit public urination charge. So, Gailey, um, one thing that, like, is interesting about Gailey's story, and he juxtaposes it with Randy Lenz, who I don't think they've talked about too much. He's that, like, drug dealer who would describe himself as, like, a poet, mm -hmm. like, um, is, isn't he uh, yours truly? Like, don't we find that I out? It was Tony Krauss. Wait. Might, I thought yours truly was Tony. Poor Tony. But I could be wrong. Well, no, 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 no. Because in the chapter where we first meet them, yours truly is referring to poor Tony. Unless he's referring to himself in the third uh, person, maybe. It might be right. Hmm. I, I need to look at it. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I always thought it was, I'm not. I think. I think somebody clued me in on that, so they might have given me bad information. So I don't know. Part of it is me trying to just remember off the top of my head. So there's a lot to fucking remember in this. Book. My my alcoholic brain might not be great at mm. that. But um, so there's this juxtaposition of Gately's got this like, he's fucked on like both sides of the law because um he he screwed with that assistant district attorney. Mm -hmm. And then he also screwed with like this really powerful um, terrorist group. Right. That's the, he was affiliated with the, the stuffy Canadian VIP. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that he even knows the extent to that he's in trouble, but Randy Lenz is in, he's in a similar-ish situation. Okay. Um, he might, he, you know what? He might be yours truly now that I think about it. I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to look it up after this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so like there's that jump there there's that comparison. You're going to see Randy Lenz um and his story kind of play out a little bit more um towards okay. the end of the book. But yeah, so it's like it's interesting that Gately has like all these problems but he's still able to like deal with it because he's working a program, he's going to meetings, you know. Right. Um I'm going to get into that a little bit more. I just uh it's very hard to keep track of the notes here. Um, we find out after the stuffy Canadian VIP Gately killed, it was huge news locally. Gately was terrified as the method of B&E was his MO by now. Lazy and sloppy of him, so it was more likely to get traced back to him. More so terrified after speaking to a fellow addict former court stenographer that it'd be most likely a second-degree murder charge and a remorseless district attorney had been assigned to the case. Footnote explains if anyone dies during the commission of a felony, whether it be an accident or a pacemaker giving out, the felon is facing murder to an unbargainable time. This is terrifying to most addicts. Though they tend to be nonviolent, their long-term planning and safety concerns tend to leave something to be desired. Rumor has it that they had given up looking for any locals and believe the death related to political issues 
issues in Quebec. Here's what I wanted to say that was uh, directly related. So we find out some of the stakes for Gately beyond just getting uh, sober. Most of Gately's charges have been, quote, blue filed, meaning temporarily closed, but capable of being red filed or reopened should the suspect suddenly begin not doing as well and straightening out his life. The suspended license is blue filed. Unfortunately, it's a charge that comes with an automatic 90 days. He'll certainly have to do at some point. Gately has done longer, including 17 months for viciously beating up two bouncers, quoted as beating one unconscious body with the other unconscious body, and got by on his size. He avoided trouble, and when some of the tougher guys wanted to try him out, he beat them half to death loud enough for everyone to hear, and then wrote out his sentence in peace and quiet. His biggest fear is the limit of only a max of two AA meetings a week available in prison. He'll now go to literally any length to stay clean. Uh, first night at Ennett, he was honest that he was only there to stay out of prison. Gately did express a desire to quit being such a fuck up, to which Pat M. pulled out a binder and pointed out 60% of the inmates serving life sentences all admitted they committed crimes but had no memory whatsoever of the actual acts. Blackouts. I did have a note here that this does kind of fly in the face of a few pages ago of the most drug addicts are nonviolent, and then immediately saying also 60% of the people serving time were uh, blackout on one drug or another, but. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. I guess it's the point of like, when you're blacked out, you're not really in control of yourself. Mm -hmm. So you're doing things. You're doing things not necessarily in your nature. Yeah. So like when you're, so I guess like, I guess the the nonviolent thing is like, like when you're dope sick, you're, you're not, your first intention is not going to be to be violent. It's going to be to, to get drug, get money or get drugs. Right. Yeah. Or get money for drugs. Um, Mm. It's not like you, like getting in a fight is your priority. Um, Right. Yeah. It's more likely like, you know, they're going to, well, when we met poor Tony, poor Tony just wanted to steal a woman's purse so that he could go get heroin with it. Right. Instead, he stole a purse with a woman's artificial heart in it and killed yeah. her, which is something he obviously did not intend to do. Yeah, it's a wild story. That's a pretty go. I still just love the line, like, help, she stole my heart. And one of the cops just leaning back, like, happens all the time. <laughs> like a Neil Wood song. Uh, Neil Wood, Jesus Christ. I know him too well. Neil Diamond song. Yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, what was he going to say about that? Oh yeah, I mean, like I so just on like Gately, you can j- judge me or, or not, uh, but I, I have a DUI. Um, or I had a DUI. Oh, funny! I, I just mentioned a friend who has a DUI. <laughs> but so like I I did. Um, it's just like the roundhouse. It's not really jail, mm. uh, but uh, I the deal is like if you don't get another DUI for 10 years, then it disappears. Mm-hmm. But so it disappears until you get another DUI. Um, so like, I think there's something built into the court system that's, that rings true here to me. That's like, they just want you to stop being a piece of shit. Um, I mean, not that our criminal justice system isn't fucked up, but right. I think the drug, the drug court version of it, and the, the alcohol, it's like, get sober, stop drinking, and we're not going to fuck with you. But right. if you fuck up again, we're going to make it way worse. Right. It is, it is one of those acknowledgments that's like, I, I don't have a DUI. I have definitely driven intoxicated. Uh, yeah, so thank, thank God not in like... Because like one, no, go ahead. 
one thing you realize is like it's so easy to get away with it it's wrong it's just like so it's like you feel like you're never gonna get caught you know yeah so like and the more you drink like you're like oh i'll be like it's, it's this inverse psychology of like if you drink too much your thinking is not logical right so you're like oh i can drive i don't feel like going to get my car tomorrow you know so um yeah but it's it's very easy to get into this point of same thing with i think it's comparable to coronavirus it's like oh i'll never get coronavirus because i haven't gotten it yet it's which like, leads you to take yeah which leads you to take more risks and thereby making you more likely to catch coronavirus right until you until you get it and then you're like oh yeah it can happen yeah i'm actually i'm very thankful the only accident i ever got in while drunk is this was the era i was drunk driving i i i would say buzzed driving just because even my own particular alcohol thing is more a frequency thing however like is like i've never been blackout drunk but i definitely drank weight i drank most days for 10 years straight but uh i was out at a bar with my buddy and just a rare time i had a buddy like hey let me take the keys like oh yeah okay yeah take the keys and got in an accident like two blocks away from the bar it's like oh that could have almost easily and i got rear-ended but like I was drunk. I would have been fucked. Even yeah. if I just got rear-ended. And I got rear-ended by a cab. So there was going to be no, like, you know, like, uh, let's just forget this ever happened, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's really easy to, like, yeah. I mean, it just happens way more often than people might think. Because um, I know people have really strong feelings about it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm more of a point now where I'm like, I don't want to judge you, you know? Um, but... Yeah. It's, I, I'm very much a, a no harm, no foul guy. Like, as long as you didn't fucking run anybody or any of my pets over, it's like, eh, shit happens, you know? Sure. And I mean, the, the, the Gately thing about, like, him coming in and only wanting to, to get in because he's out of prison, or he uh -huh. just wants to stay out of prison, I wanted to comment on that a little bit because oh. there's this idea of, like, well, why, why would you let him in? But it's like, well, he's being honest. And also, like, that's something to get someone in the door of the program that might help them get sober. Like, who are, like other people's reasons aren't necessarily any better. It's like you broke up with your girlfriend or you lost some housing or something. Like, a lot of times it's a, a, a situation that you want to get out of. So it's like this desperation. And there's this story of uh, this guy who's like, successful businessman, hardcore alcoholic, and he comes in and he comes into a meeting and the older guys um, see him and he's like, yeah, things are going great. Like I just got a promotion at my job. And the older guys are like, oh man, it's bad news. And they're like, well, why is that bad news? Cause he like, well, he's gonna lose the desperation. And it's like, mm. he gets fired and he loses something and they're excited because it's like, oh, now, now he has a chance because uh -huh. desperate. So that, that desperation that's there is like powerful and useful. Oh, yeah. No, I would definitely, I, I said before, I would have absolutely been in AA with a bunch of my family members, if not for the fact that like it didn't really cost me anything. Like the, the worst thing I got from alcohol was like hangovers, which would give me panic attacks. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm a little pudgy in the middle because I tend to eat when I drink. But you know, so that's like, none of that's really a fire that needs to be put out. But at the same time, again, I drank for 99% of 
every day for 10 fucking years. And that's not a good thing, you know? Well, the way my sponsor put it was, um, it's not so much the physical conditions, it's like the spiritual situation. So yeah. like, you know, you it's real easy to go to a meeting and be like, well, I was never living under a bridge in Kensington, so mm -hmm. I'm fine. Right. It's more like, well, do you feel like you've hit a spiritual bottom? Because that's something everyone can relate to, mm -hmm. you know? So you, you don't necessarily need to lose anything or everything to feel like something needs to change, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I think mine is honestly a stimulation thing. Cause like I've, uh, what's happened in the last few months is I've done a thing where like I only drink for half the week, which is, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to make healthier drinking decisions. tendencies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all I'm finding yeah. is just like, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. It's just like, I'm fucking bored. Like I don't have, I, I don't have the main stimulation, which is just booze, which is, gonna make this movie or this record or this video game that more enthralling you know it's just like i'm just sitting in my house waiting to feel tired enough to go to bed yeah that's i mean a couple things one thing my uh sponsor used to say was um for alcoholic i'm not i'm not saying i don't i don't you're not an alcoholic if you don't identify as one i guess um that's part of people's problems with it in this but it's like you can either control it or enjoy it so like I can go to a bar and be like, I'm only going to have one, but I'm going to hate it. Um, mm -hmm. Or I can just like get sloppy, you know, and really have fun for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, what was the other thing? Oh yeah. I used to drink just because I was like, I'm never going to be able to get to sleep. Yep. Uh, That's ding, ding, ding. That, that is me. Yeah. yeah. So I used to be like, like I would, I would, I would say like, I'm not going to drink during the work week. And then I'd be driving home from work and I'd be like, well, I'm never going to sleep if I don't drink this six pack of the golden monkey. Dude, that, that is absolutely me. And that is why it has been a blessing that I got fucking laid off two months ago because now I'm doing this and it's like, well, if you don't get any sleep and then you fucking, you wake up late, who gives a shit? You don't have anything to do in the morning anyway. Yeah. And also the other thing I need to remind myself, cause you get so used to it with like the constant, some level of hangover. It's like, well, yeah, but. Here's the thing, if you haven't been putting poison into your body all night, you can sleep four hours and you'll just feel like a little eh, as opposed to other times where it's like you feel like death. Oh yeah. I mean, I was drinking like basically every night. Yeah. Unless I was too tired. How, how much, if you don't mind me? Like what was the quantity you were taking in every night? It's a good question. I stopped drinking like hard liquor because it got bad. Uh -huh. I got through bad, but I would drink like, I, I want to say maybe like 10 gold monkeys. Cool. Uh, and those are, if you are not a craft beer person, a golden monkey has twice the amount of alcohol as like your standard, like Budweiser or anything like that. That's what I, so I was drinking. So I would drink until I blacked out. Like mm. that, that was basically where I was at. I just wanted to get like more and more drunk, you know? So yeah. like whatever, it, it might've been 11, it might've been 12. See, this is the, that's where I got lucky as far as my genetics. Cause like, well, one of them was my stepdad, but like my father and my stepdad were both like a case of Budweiser a day starting at like noon type drunks, like bad. I stopped being able to like really drink like PBR and like Bud because like it didn't do anything for me. Yeah. Like, cause, uh, cause the alcohol content. So uh, I, I think yeah. I'm, 
somebody will probably do a study on it at some point. I wonder how the prevalence of craft beer, which is almost, even like a standard craft beer, tends to be at least 50% more alcohol than what we would consider our dad's beers of like yeah. Budweiser. Yeah. So. That's part of the appeal, right? Like. But I, I wonder if that's affecting the rate at which people develop alcohol problems if they're taking these uh, higher caliber alcohol loads, basically. If we stick with the coronavirus thing, like they say, well, you get sicker the more viral load you're exposed to. Yeah, I never thought about that. Hmm. I wonder if it's easier to, to get hooked. Same thing with fentanyl, I guess. Like fentanyl is yeah. kind of like the craft beer of heroin. Um, but then again, I suppose the inverse could also be true in that maybe one of the reasons people become alcoholics, if they take the beer variety, maybe it's easier to slide into it with a lower beer because you feel it at a lesser like clip. I wonder, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an intriguing question. Hmm. I think, I wonder if like the science would play out one direction or the other. Yeah, I want to look that up. I'm going to look up craft beer alcoholism when we get done here. Um, <laughs> All right, we find out a bit about Pat Montesian. Uh, she had been a young socialite, wealth, wife to a wealthy man who divorced her for her constant drinking, in and out of rehabs until she had a stroke from the DTs trying to kick. She said it was the best thing that ever happened to her because it let her finally surrender. Her first six months at Ennett, she was in a wheelchair and communicating via blinks. She got remarried to a sober trillionaire and has been working at Ennett ever since. Her right side is still atrophied and her speech is garbled and she has a special harness on her right hand to keep it uncurled like a palsied claw. Her right leg drags behind her like something hanging on to her that she's trying to get away from. That's a beautiful little sentence right there. Uh, Pat M. had personally gone with Gately to most of his court dates to vouch for him personally to judges. Four months in, Gately's desire for narcotics magically disappeared just like the crocodiles at the white flag group said would happen if he just prayed every morning and night. He had no God or Jesus background, only going on his knees to vomit or fuck. It came unnaturally to him. Pat told him it didn't matter whether it didn't matter what he thought or believed or said. All that mattered was doing. Now we've gotten into this a few times and I love the analogy of, uh, of the, the recovery as it relates to tennis, where so much of it is just, repeating the mechanical movements until it gets kind of absorbed into your unconscious brain, you know? Yeah. It's like all of a sudden this is working. And I don't think AA has like a monopoly on recovery. Oh no. Like I, for me, it's like, I kind of wish that there was something that I understood, but there's a great line. I think it's, um, it's his sponsor. Is it ferocious Francis or whatever his name is? Yeah. Ferocious Francis G. The guy with the big gut and the oxygen machine. I think it's him who says to him, like, maybe anything major league enough for you to understand, like, uh, you know, like, or. Hold on. I, 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 I have the line down here because it's a, he suggests to Gately that anything minor league enough for Gately to understand probably wouldn't be major league enough to save his drug addled ass. Yeah. Um, I love the crocodile so fucking much. It's great. And he's like, he's like, oh yeah, it's true. It's, uh, <laughs> hey, you're right. I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, you're right. I'm a dumb idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. yeah so. Gately's humility is so great. We're like, even when, like you can see when he has, uh, I think it was Jeffrey Day he's first talking about 
where he's like thinking in the moment, like yeah, normally somebody like this, I would just like beat the living dog shit out of them for being <laughs> such an asshole. But then again, I mean, you know, everybody comes here through different ways and it's not me to judge. Like, like you can see the, the, the cresting wave of like his old, like, you know, punch anything that gets in your way thing. And just being like quelled down by the sin, like, well, you don't know where he, what he could have had a bad day today, or yeah. And uh, he's trying to. It's funny. I was gonna bring that up too. It's like he's like trying to keep up with Jeffrey, and Jeffrey's just like spouting off, like, the only reason I come to talk to you is because you seem like such a decent guy, man. Mm-hmm. And Gately's like using big words to make fun of me. It's like. <laughs> Um, but he's like, all right, I, I, I got to give him a chance and this will teach me humility maybe, or this will teach me patience. Right. He's like he's trying to like grow as a person, you know, it's right. funny. Well, like you said there, uh, AA is not the only step in recovery. It's just, I, I, I think, I think it's important to just have something community based. It's community based. It's fucking everywhere. And with the exception of like, it's essentially free. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, you're going to put a dollar in the hat, but yeah, it's kind of just like, um, for me, the, the AA is like, well, it works for me. Like, you know, it's like, this worked for me, and now I am here. Maybe this could be you. Like, right. you know, like, and like, you could get there too. Like you, it, so it's like, okay. This well, it, 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 it says it right there. It's also like, if this is working for other people, well, it's, it's not cost prohibitive. You can do every, sing, every single thing he did to get sober in AA, you can do too. It is all available to you here. As opposed yeah. to like the celebrity route, like, yeah, going and drying out at a facility in Miami would be great if everyone could afford it. So, you know. And no one is, even those, those they're, they're wishy-washy with like the stuff that they do. Um, funny, there's a, uh, I don't know if I should. I guess he's pretty publicly out there. Like, that, like I know people who are like have had like wealth and success. Like, there's a guy who was on Jackass who's out in the recovery community. And like, oh yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? Brendan something. Yeah, Brendan Novak. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's very out there about it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he puts videos out about it. So, um, but yeah, so like. I'm sure he's had experiences like that, um, but he just works AA, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's open for anybody. People will help you. Like that. That's one. You're like, oh, it's not. People aren't trying to get money for this. Even like, if you right. try to give a meeting, like if you came and you were rich and you were like, let me give this meeting a ton of money, AA is like, no, we want to be self-sustaining. Like they're not going to take it. Like every meeting kind of has to sustain itself. Right, like I've done, uh, I, I've set up a good amount of like sober comedy shows for um, AA clubs, and we pretty much exclusively only do them for like clubhouses. We're not going to do it for like AA that runs in a basement, but we're trying to give money to people, yeah. try, trying to get money for people who like they actively need to pay the tax on this location and keep yeah. the lights on. Yeah, I got you. I'm actually bummed out. We usually summers when we do a lot of those, and this COVID thing has wiped out all of them we have one plan for the al Ann club in trenton uh rescheduled for january that i really hope things work out because i i love doing the dude sober crowds are fucking great yeah 
because they have seen everything and uh, they always love when you do the intro like and by the way no yelling back at the comedians you're all sober you don't have any excuse to be that kind of asshole they always <laughs> um okay we can wrap this up here uh they're kind of beating us over the beating the dead horse here but i do like even if it's all cliches i do like the building them uh gately's counselor a former coke addict and filipino who only felt his higher power while driving gave gately the cake analogy the cake analogy being imagine a box of betty crocker with the directions to make a cake on the side it doesn't matter whether you believe in the inevitable cake construction one iota for once, shut up and just follow directions on the side of the fucking box. More experienced bakers than you are telling you this is how to make a cake. And it doesn't matter if you don't understand how it works. They're telling you these are the steps to make the cake. So shut up and do what they tell you. He followed the directions and always put his shoes and keys under the bed to remind him to get into the prayer position. Just told himself he was talking to the ceiling because it was more comfortable than talking to nothing. Eventually, he was disturbed to realize that he hadn't even thought of drugs for days, which would have been impossible before. It was his first release from this mental cage since the age of 10. He couldn't believe it. How could some higher power help him when he didn't even believe in it and was just faking his way through the whole thing? He was so frustrated, he cracked the table at a meeting, bashing his head against it. Don Gately, yeah, very simple guy. Um, Ferocious Francis G. was one of the most ancient and gnarled of the crocodiles. White crew cut, scally cap, suspenders, enormous gut, giant gin blossom burst nose, and a toothpick in his mouth, and a tattoo of a martini glass and naked lady on his right forearm he'd gotten in the Korean War. He'd been sober since the Nixon administration. After Gately smashed the table, Francis took him out for a disturbing amount of coffee and took him under his wing. Suggested to Gately that anything minor league enough for Gately to understand would probably not be major league enough to save his drug-addled ass. The crocodiles presented him with a single candle cake on the day of his one-year sober anniversary, and Gately cried in front of non-relatives for the first time in his life, which he now denies. Um, I like that we get his measurements for the first time. Gately is 188 centimeters and 128 kilograms, meaning he is six foot two, 282 pounds. He'd never once eaten a broccoli or pear until the last year. Despite being chef and the whole cake story, he has never followed the directions on the side of a box of any kind of food. He is nevertheless anxious and eager to please, serving food the way a new bride serves her husband for the first time. The food is terrible and Jeffrey Day and Lens fuck with him, but Tiny Yule and others are always sure to present their most polite lies and fake appetites for his cooking. And the, the meatloaf comes up later um, in the story with Lens, actually. Okay. And, uh, like someone's taking the meatloaf and Gately walks in and he's like, oh, I guess somebody likes my meatloaf. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it's, it's for like, you'll see. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the, the, I don't know if, G I guess Gately realizes it. Maybe that's part of why he cries mm -hmm. is like, there's the cake analogy and then he get, he literally gets the cake. So it's like, yeah. Okay. I had, God, I'm fucking dumb. I didn't put that no, no, together. No, no, no. I, like, I, I just saw it for the first time, too, I think, rereading it. Uh -huh. um, so it's like, oh, I put my cake together. It's like... Exactly. Metaphor, yeah, this metaphor played out, played out in a way, like, th they didn't talk to each other. Like, the, I, I, like, I don't think it was like, oh, I gave him the cake analogy. You have to give him a cake. It's just like, oh, here's, like, maybe my higher power working in a way, like, I followed the directions, and now I have my cake. And mm -hmm. it's like, physical representation of um, me just shutting up and following directions on the side of the box, mm -hmm. you know? 
God, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story real quick just because uh so today is my stepfather's birthday. He would have been 60. He died roughly a year ago, right around this time, right before his birthday. He um uh, what? Sorry for your loss. Ah, uh, thank you. But uh, he was a big time alcoholic. Fa- thankfully, both of the well, all the major alcoholics in my family, they only really hurt themselves. There were no like violent ones. So even that, well, the point is he got cancer, beat cancer. Unfortunately, as soon as he could start drinking again, he did. And the long and short is he just never fucking healed right. And is part of what led to his death, unfortunately. Like, it technically died from complications due to colon cancer. But realistically, it was he never fucking healed accurately because he immediately started throwing poison down his throat again. But uh, terrible as that is, the one-year anniversary of his death, my mom actually went to his grave and put a, a, a one-year chip on his tombstone because it was like the first sober, the first sober year of his existence is him dead. But I don't know. I, I found that kind of poignant and beautiful in its own way. That is really beautiful. Is she yeah. in the program? Yes, she is in the program. It's her and a cousin and uh, some friends from the old hometown that I don't really run around with anymore. But yeah, there's a, there's a few people I know in it. So It's a cool story. Yeah. I, I like them all being in there. Like My mom asked me to go to her first uh, speakers meeting a year or two ago, which was, it was really, it was really interesting just to see my mom. Well, for one thing, my mother just terrified of public speaking and there she is telling her entire story. Yeah. And yeah. uh, and the crowd's yeah. probably really just nice and generous. Oh yeah, the, the crowd's really nice, and not to mention, I I hate that I did do this a little bit just because I'm a ham, but I did think like, you know what, this will make people feel nice because you know how at the end of a speaker meeting, everybody like raises their hand if they want to say something too, and uh, I actually did that, and I just thanked the group for you know helping get my mom clean, and you know that I remember seeing her. I'd go to visit her and she'd just have a drink waiting around with nothing to do. And now she'd found this beautiful community and long and short, I was, tr- I was trying to get the spotlight on me a little bit, but it was fun watching a bunch of people like burst into tears, hearing their own story told back to them from a grateful family member. Nice. It's pretty yeah. cool. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of meetings that are open where you don't. Sorry, Matt, you, you broke up there. You broke oh, up. There. Yeah. Say it again. You're breaking up a little bit too, so maybe we're ending at a good time. But um, the you don't need to be an alcoholic. There's a to to go to a lot of the meetings. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are closed, but that's pretty cool. Um, the there's a scene apparently in, in the marvelous Miss Maisel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that movie, it's it's some show where there's a comedian who can't get stage time. Uh-huh. So he starts going to AA meetings and getting like a really good response, and just starts <laughs> doing, doing his material at AA meetings. It's pretty funny. Okay. Uh, well, the comedian Doug Stanhope, who is famously like an addict of pretty much anything you'll give him, and an unrepentant one, he says that uh, he grew up with his mother in the program for so many years as a child growing up in the program that wherever he moved to start doing comedy, he would just go to AA just to make friends and not even like try to not drink. Just like, oh, I just know there's a community waiting there for me who will like look out for me a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. I'm glad it exists. Yeah. All right. Well, buddy, I think that is our episode. Thanks for coming back again. You have a lot of very interesting insights, and I'm glad we could pick through it. And I know you personally are delighted to see me liking this book a little bit more every time you talk to me. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I'm enjoying the podcast too. You're doing a great job. Same, man. Same. I'm glad we're about halfway through. Um, got some good guests coming up. I'm, I'm really interested to see where it goes. It's, uh, I really want to start doing more of the fucking footnote episodes. This is what I meant about being terrible at scheduling people because, because it has to be chronological. Yeah. Like, I keep wanting like, oh, well, maybe I'll do a footnote episode uh, this, for this week. But then it's like it, it, it fucks up the rhythm of everything else. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It's all right. It makes sense. Yeah. Wait a minute. Thank you for, uh, again, being an inspiration for this podcast and uh, listening along. And thank you for complimenting my songs. Maybe that'll make me want to make more of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. Just thanks for being you, Steve, man. Uh, where, where can we find you online? Um, you know what? I have a couple of stories up on YouTube. If you type Steve Clark the Moth. Um, you can find me there. That's about it. I have, oh. I have Steve, Steve Clark Hello um, on Twitter. Um, Steve Clark, Steve O. Clark on Instagram. I mean, you don't need – it's fine. Okay. There, there's nothing exciting going on there. Uh, that uh, Unfortunately, that is just the performance arts in general right now. Like, we're, we're just kind of creeping our way out of the fucking primordial ooze of this whole fucking quarantine shutdown. Sure, sure. Sucks. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I am going to stop recording, but you and I can keep talking a little bit. Thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah. I um, I actually got to run to meet my parents. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me. Definitely, man. Always glad to be, always glad to see you. This is awesome. Yeah, man. No, I'll you, talk tomorrow. All right, I'll have it up tomorrow. I'll tag in everything. Beautiful. Later awesome. on. All right, later, buddy. Bye.